0: This is The Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 677.
1: For me, communication, trust is everything. And, and honor is a, is a big uh, character trait that I, I like to stress on it, is, is building something that's based on honor and trust. So um, being able to meet people face-to-face, I think builds that kind of relationship. Um, it's, we're not just an email address or a voice over the phone, um, but they, they know who I am and I know who they are. And it helps, and I think it kind of helps build that rapport with each other.
0: What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast here today with another fantastic episode. And I'm joined by my co host, Jamil Damji. Jamil, how's it going?
2: Fantastic. I'm really, really stoked about today's show. Taylor is an f- incredible guy, not only uh, served our country and uh, continues to just blow my mind with what he's been doing, not only in real estate, but just as a, as a dude in general. Love the guy.
0: Yeah, this is a great example of a go-getter who's doing a phenomenal job with simple techniques that he learned on the podcast that anybody can replicate. He's in a strong rental market. He's creative. He hustles. He looks for deals while walking his dog. I love that, doing two things at one time, time management. And there's a lot of other stuff that you guys will get out of this show if you listen. I think it's one of the more inspirational stories because frankly, what Taylor's doing, anybody
2: can do. But before we
0: bring in Taylor, today's quick tip is brought to you by Jamil Damji.
2: Thank you, David. One of the things that I really love about Taylor is uh, really making sure that you're doing business with honor. And he epitomizes that in everything that he's doing Not only is he getting belly to belly with sellers, but he's looking at how he can solve the problem. And not enough people are looking at how they can solve somebody's problem in order to get them the best situation and the seller the best situation. And then on top of that, he's sticking to markets that he really knows. So this isn't just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. He's going in with intention. He's going in with honor and he's making it happen.
0: Great point. Especially if you're investing in a market where you live, that's even more important because reputations get around.
3: Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is gonna be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe home security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself Hey bud, get out of here! It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's sixty-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get twenty percent off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24 months short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com
0: slash VP. connectinvest.com slash VP. All right, let's bring in Taylor. So let's get this thing started. Let me ask you, what is your story? How did you get into investing in real estate? Take me back to a young Taylor. And what was going through your mind when you decided you want to get into the industry?
1: Yeah, of course. So uh, I don't come from an entrepreneurial background at all. My dad did 30 years of government service. So I went straight to West Point after high school, um, and I just went straight, got spit out into the army. So my my whole background has just been government service. You know, it's just been military time. So um, really, I had to find my way on my own. I just did a lot of uh, podcast listening, a lot of education um, just a lot of soul searching to figure out you know, what I was going to do after the army. And then kind of real estate fell on my lap after doing all that research. And I just started um, buying property, really. So it was super, super fun. It was, it's was, it been an exciting journey. I've only been in real estate for a couple of years now. Um, but in those couple of years, we were able to buy about 30, 31 doors. Um, and my goal was I created an action plan for having um 3 years 3 years before my contract was up the army I wanted to get my financial freedom and be able to leave the army so luckily we've been able to do that and we've been able to meet our financial freedom number
0: what were you listening to podcasts at a certain point where did the seed get planted that you could hit financial freedom through real estate especially while still in the service
1: yeah so <laughs> so what happened was is that you know I, I met at, back then I met my now wife we just got married this month and we were thinking about leaving the army for, <laughs> thank you for a, for a little while, just because active duty life is a little tough on family life. So, uh, for those that kind of don't know how it goes, is you're moving every couple three years, um, you're deploying a lot, you're doing a lot of training rotations, and so I was looking for a way out, but I didn't know didn't know exactly what that looked like because, like I said, all, all I knew was really the army. So uh, once we I got into podcasts, Bigger Pockets was a big one I was listening to. Um, it seemed like the way I can build cash flow, build wealth, all, all science kind of pointed towards real estate. Even though I had never financed anything at that point, I kind of knew that that's the way I wanted to go.
0: so how did you find the first deal? Were you sitting in, you know the barracks looking at Zillow <laughs> when everybody else was goofing around? Like what was that moment
1: like? So it was actually deployed. And so I had some time on my hands, and, and that's when I really started digging into some of that education and By the time I got back, I knew I wanted to buy my first property. And so I started off pretty easy. I used a VA loan when I got back. And the VA loan is a a powerful tool. I highly recommend it for a lot of vets. There's no other tool I can think of in the world where you can leverage 100% of an asset. And so I just bought a regular single-family house, moved into it, and I did my first house hack. Moved in another soldier in one of the bedrooms. And I actually lived for free that way because that rent, offset the mortgage. It was I bought a pretty inexpensive house and I was able to pocket all of my BAH. It's like a basic allowance for housing that the Army gives me. So that is what really kinda hit that light bulb was when I when is when I started pocketing all that BAH and offsetting my living expense. So the first property that you
0: bought, Taylor, what did it look like? Did you house hack? did you did it cash flow or did you just have to pay the mortgage?
1: So back then the market wasn't too crazy. I think this was like in 2020 so it wasn't too too crazy back then. Um, so I, I was actually able to negotiate the seller to cover all my closing costs. so I, I bought this house with zero down. All my closing costs were paid for. I think I even got a check for two hundred bucks. And the property was just under 100 k So maybe $98,000 was when I paid for it. Um, so the mortgage is under $600. And then that room rented, rooms were renting for about $600 in that area. So that one room I was renting out offset that entire living expense for me. And, and I was able to pocket my VH that the army was giving me as well.
2: So Taylor, it's really interesting, the launch pad for you to get into this, right? Because you're one of those people that I think is uncommon listener to podcasts and consuming education or consuming content because you took what you were learning and found a way to take action right and and for the people that are listening to this right now, I think this is one of the most important pieces of uh, inspiration, right? How do you get yourself out of the content consumption portion of of this and then take action to actually buy your first house because that Decision is difficult for people to make. They're constantly evaluating, they're analyzing, they want to make sure I'm not making a mistake. They got to feel like they've got it all right. So, you probably didn't feel like you had it all right. How did you make that choice? How did you, and what pushed you over the edge? Because I feel like if we can nail that down, there's going to be a lot of people listening in right now who are looking for that moment, that moment that makes them feel like, I think I'm ready to do this. When did you find yours?
1: Yeah. And that, that, that was the toughest thing was, I mean, you could absorb, I was a sponge absorbing all that education, but the application taking action, it was really scary for me, especially being a government employee, you know, uh, in the army, if you want to know how to do something, there's a manual that shows you how to do everything. Um, Even there's a career progression, you know, exactly in five years, I'm going to be a captain and I'm going to know exactly what, how much money I'm going to be making, but it was a big mental, um, pivot for me, going from that mindset to like an entrepreneurial mindset, where I kind of have to figure out everything on my own, there wasn't anybody to, to handhold me. And so um, it was just, it was a that big mental pivot. And I had to just believe in kind of myself, I had to be able to take that risk. And so after I did buy that VA loan, and I kind of saw some that power there. Um, I decided to, to take go ahead and, and believe in myself. And I bought my first Burr property, I put pretty much every dollar I had saved into that first BRR. Um And it really, it was, it was a big mindset pivot. I had to overcome a lot of self-doubt, those fears. Um, I even liquidated what I had in my uh, IRA because I didn't have any money, just a couple months of paychecks to do this deal. Um, luckily, <laughs> um, I believed in, in the numbers and, the, and everything worked out. And so with that one burr and every pretty much every dollar I had, I was able to recycle those funds, do a, do more and more deals, um, and have a nice cash flow and rental. So tell us, I understand you you had a different
0: type of loan that you got, like an SBA type that helped you get into these deals. Can you share what that was?
1: Yeah. So for the for the house hack it was just a VA conventional loan. When I did my first burr, I went out and I found a, a hard money lender to get me into that deal, and so. You know, I'd maybe save somewhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars to to do the down payment. I think they funded up to eighty or eighty-five percent of that that loan to value, and then they funded one hundred percent of the rehab. So I just had to get into that deal with the down payment, um, with with those funds I had saved. Okay, so
0: you're you've got this first property, you're renting out the rooms. I probably had to feel like this is too good to be true. Like I'm getting my whole thing covered just by renting out a room. You're renting out to people that you know, so you don't have this like weird stranger danger thing going on. You guys are in the same culture; like everything's just lined up for you. I'm right. sure you thought, "I'm just gonna scale this." Like, how hard could it be? Like, what was your thought process, and then how did you get into the the
1: next deal? Yeah, once I finished, uh, once I did that house hack and that first bur, that's when everything clicked, and I was like, "Oh, I got this. This is not bad at all." Again, I had all my funds back, and then I started doing a lot more creative financing. Um, and then after that I started doing a lot more direct to seller marketing as well to find these deals. Cause for me, creative finance, I didn't choose creative finance, creative finance kind of chose me just cause of uh, in that financial position I was in. Wow! And so I had to figure out how was I going to get into these these houses because I didn't have the funds to just put 20% down or I didn't have a, or go to the MLS or anything like that. So I just knew I needed to find good deals and sellers that were willing to work with me and sell them on my story to help me get into these deals.
2: So, Creative Finance chooses you. I I absolutely adore that you said that because it it can be a little confusing for people if they're just getting into real estate investing to wrap their heads around, "Wait, I can I can get financing from a seller or I can take over somebody's property and leave the existing loan in place? How did Creative Finance find you?" And second, uh, how did you wrap your head around all of the nuance and the intricacies that are necessary in getting one of these deals accomplished because for, you know in, in 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 truth, they're not that complicated, but they feel complicated, and I'm really interested to hear how you bridge that gap and and were, were able to accomplish your first deal i mean for me it took me a long time to get comfortable enough to do creative finance. And it sounds to me like it was your second at bat. How does that happen? Yeah. So I knew everything th- theoretically just
1: from listening to podcasts like Bigger Pockets or just Googling things on, on the web. Um, so I knew everything in theory, but I just needed to, I'm one of those guys that just needs to do it and just get smacked in the head a couple times to figure things out. And so I, despite going into it and kind of starting ugly, um, just writing my own contracts on a Word document and just going to the the title company and saying, "Hey, is this going to work for you?" Uh, so <laughs> just starting ugly and just and just trying it. Uh, you, there's no no harm in trying. I feel like so the worst I can get is laughed at or a no.
2: What did you? What type of creative deal did you first do? Was it a was it a sub two? What did you? An owner finance? Walk us through that.
1: Yep. So I did. I've done a number of sub twos. That was one one of my favorite go to strategies. Um, so I was able to just basically my favorite thing is walking my dog. So I would walk the dog. I would just write down addresses and cold call or if, if somebody's home, just I would feel free to door knock, see what's going on. Um, but some of these sub twos, I was able to just knock on the door, um, talk to the seller, kind of build a little rapport there um, and pitch a sub two, even though I have never never done a sub two. I knew enough about it to speak intelligently about it, and somehow convince them that this was a good idea. Um, and I was able to, to to get into those deals that way. otherwise, I would not have been able to get into those deals.
2: So, for the audience that's listening right now, if they're questioning what's a sub two, that's essentially when uh, Taylor took over a property with an existing loan in place, and he was able to take that property, take title to the property, but leave the financing in place and and basically make that his loan. So, was that a Large entry fee? was it favorable terms? Did you overpay for the property? How did that all work and 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 the second thing is, I got my first deal walking a dog as well, so you and I are kindred spirits
1: <laughs> yeah, it helps, it helps me keep the weight off, so <laughs> me and the dog. <laughs> so we uh, we and this I'll, I'll share this one particular deal. so um basically the property was worth somewhere around two two fifteen, something like that. And when I called this guy, he was really just motivated to get out of the property. And so I told him my story. He was also a vet. We kind of bonded over that. We built rapport. um, And and really, it was kind of not a good situation for him. He just needed to get out of it. So um, I told him, hey, the quickest way I can get you out of this deal um, is if we did like a sub two. And so he only owned about $100,000 on this property. So you know, I just was able to close on it without any funds. I just closed on it. I paid you know, the title company some closing fees, and I was able to step into this deal with no money down. Um, luckily, I had some cash. I did renovate it a little bit, needed about $15,000 in repairs. But on the back end, I was kind of able to combine the, the burr strategy and do a refinance on the back end to get my rehab money back. And then I actually profited too, almost like a, a flip. I got maybe like $25,000 profit after I paid myself um, and had a cash flowing rental, locked in a lower interest rate there as well.
0: Yeah, we, we just interviewed Ashley Hamilton, and she describes it as the reverse flip when you make a profit off a property that you keep. And so what I like about this is you didn't ask the question, which strategy should I use? You found an opportunity, and you said, what strategies do I have available to me to use? And you're like, I'm going to pursue a Burr. I'm going to pursue a subject to. You found a motivated seller, and you said, I can use creative financing. I can use subject two. I can use a, uh, my construction knowledge and a rehab then I can refinance it. Oh, I took more money out. This is, we started calling it a pilf because that's how you spell flip backwards. <laughs> and then Ashley came up with property. I'd like to flip, which is that's very so funny when we did that episode, but you, you've got this like toolbox of knowledge from, from listening to bigger pockets, podcasts, studying real estate, investing, the deal comes along and you didn't have to say, I need a mentor. I need a mentor. Somebody tell me what to do. You're like, Oh no, I've heard about this before. I've got these strategies lined up. What I want to ask is because To me, when I hear this, the most important part of this entire deal was finding that person that didn't want to own an asset, and you did. What had they done wrong? What was going on with the deal? What was their motivation why they wanted to sell it and didn't necessarily need to get any money out of it?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest piece was he was just kind of in a – kind of a sticky situation. And when I talk to these um, homeowners, really what I'm looking to do is align myself against the problem and provide solutions. I don't want to sell them on just the house, make it transactional. How I like to word it is um, it's more of a relationship based. I'm selling them on who I am and I'm, I'm selling them as a, I'm selling the solution. I'm not just buying the house. And so what the problem was, is I think they bought it when he was in a previous marriage you know, and it didn't end too well. And they were, that was the last, I think, thing they owned together. So it was like kind of like the last thing tying them to that ex-marriage. And so um, I told him who I was, I, you know, I'm i am Taylor. Hey, I'm, I live a couple houses down from this one. I'm your neighbor. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still active duty army. I'm just looking to buy a couple properties to help me and my family out on our financial freedom journey, build a little generational wealth. And I, I think other other people really resonate with, with that story. And so he said, Hey, I'm not I don't even need a profit. You know, if you can get me out of this situation, I'll I'll be super grateful. And so we were able to create a win-win situation where he walks away happy he doesn't have that burden. It was just it was essentially just a money coming out of his pocket every month. I was able to win with a, a nice cash flowing rental and then the neighborhood one too because I, I made the, the neighborhood nicer as well.
0: What's worth acknowledging here is you didn't find a person and ask the question How do I convince them they should do seller financing? That's the wrong question. And a lot of people go that road. You found a person who already wanted to get rid of an asset and then you provided the solution of seller financing. There has to be a hunger there before you can provide the food. Like A lot of the listeners find a deal on Zillow And they're saying, now, how do I convince this seller to give it to me for no money down and let me take over their mortgage? It's like, how do I get this two-year-old that isn't hungry and doesn't want to eat? How do I shove this down their throat? And you just end up with a big mess, right? Like, Jamil, have you had
2: experiences like that too? Absolutely. It's it's. I love that you brought that up, David, because it's so important that we approach any seller, whether we're talking you know, direct to seller or you're working through a real estate agent, the facts are is that this specific house probably wouldn't have been able to sell through a traditional real estate agent. There wasn't enough equity in the deal to even pay commissions. So when you think about this, Taylor is looking at the opportunity and he's talking to this seller and he's literally coming to them with, look, I want to be able to solve your problem. And the only method that I can think of that can actually get you out of this house, that's going to get you out of here without having to come to the closing table with money is if we do a sub two. And I love the fact, I love the fact that you come in solution-based, relationship-based thinking. See, this is how you create real opportunity. This is how you solve problems. And you brought so much value to the circumstance that at the end of the day, you were able to profit from it. I think that's fantastic. So
0: that brings us to the next question here. The market has clearly shifted. You don't have to go off market to find deals anymore. And my understanding is you're still buying off market. So what is it about the off market approach that you like so much that has you going back to that well time and time again?
1: What I really love about the off market and getting that property under contract yourself is just the flexibility it provides you. I know on the MLS, you, you can still buy, you find some good deals nowadays, but when you're able to lock up that property and be the first one to, to that uh, seller, there's so much you can do with it. You can wholesale it, you can wholetail it, you can flip it, you can buy and hold, sub two. I mean, th- the opportunities are endless there. So I just love that flexibility of when I can lock up that deal myself and, and go ahead and, and kind of see how I want it, what exit strategy I want to choose.
2: So Taylor, what Primary methods of lead generation are you doing to get in front of these sellers?
1: I've done a little bit of everything, but right now what I've what we've really been focusing on is uh, SEO, PPC, kind of going into the online realm. And right now I'm in a big Internet transition, data. yeah. Because before it was more uh, bootstrap. I was I was just you know walking the dog right now in a couple of addresses, but it's not scalable. So, like I said, I, I've met my financial freedom number, so. Officially, I'm getting out of the army next year, and I'm going to be a real estate entrepreneur full-time. And so now I'm trying to build an actual business. And I have a little bit of real estate knowledge, but now it's another set of education I need to learn of how to build a business, systems, and a team around me so that we can consistently close deals every month.
2: So where specifically are you doing business? I, I, I understand that you're in multiple markets. Walk us through those.
1: Yeah, I, I really like investing where I am locally. I, I know a lot of people can't and don't have that luxury, but I'm a, I'm a very hands-on guy. I like to be a member of my community, shake hands, kiss babies. So um, I like to invest where I am. So I've invested locally in North Carolina, where I was last stationed. Right now, I'm investing in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I'm living currently, And then once we transition out of the Army and we go full-time entrepreneur, we'll be down around the Treasure Coast area of Florida, where my wife's from.
2: Do you find that when you're looking at the markets that you specifically know uh, is it does it make it easier for you to understand and and po- possibly get boots on the ground and and be able to manage these if you get moved to another market or if you have to go to another city for whatever reason? Is that part of the strategy? Part of the thinking process that that leads you to it? Because you know North Carolina is great, but I, personally, I don't even know anybody investing in South Dakota, so it's interesting because it doesn't. It's not like a you know a buzz market, right? So I I'm I'm curious to find out you know some of the other than just being there geographically um are there other advantages to why you're choosing these places
1: yeah I, well one i i like both markets i invest in Um, the i just like the fundamentals like the first market fayetteville north carolina it's a military town but why i really like it is just because it's essentially in a bubble a recession-proof bubble because the largest army base that we have is there and so anybody that wants to buy property there if you're renting to military families um, They're always going to get paid unless something really, really terrible happens to our government. But everyone's going to get keep getting paid and they're going to be paying their rent. And then here in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it's another great market, what I've, which I would have never expected. But it's a stable Midwest market that's been continually going up throughout the years. There's no crazy dips uh, in the market. And this has a nice economy with healthcare, finance and agriculture. And so I like those market indicators for one. And then two, it's I think for me, it's way easier to build a team on the ground because I can meet the property managers face-to-face. I can sh- look at the contractors and see how they're doing um, right here on site. And then once I leave, I feel comfortable with those relationships I have built. We're, I'm still buying in North Carolina, I'm buying here in South Dakota and still Florida. So I still buy in those areas with those teams I set up.
2: So you're obviously working with people that you have deep relationships with and there's a level of trust there, right? I think for me, when I'm making purchases and I'm, and I'm investing in you know, specific cities, I remember when I first bought in Phoenix, Arizona, I was investing there because A, I was proximity to Los Angeles. I, I was seeing that there was an opportunity there. I could get in at a good price. But what ended up ultimately happening was I was getting ripped off by my property manager And I ended up having to move to Phoenix in order to take control of the situation. I was losing money. I was uh, literally, my property manager was taking cash rent from my tenants and telling me that the places were vacant. And there was a a whole mess that I had to unravel when I got there. Uh, I love the fact that you're working with people that you know and trust. How important do you think that is in building a business? Yeah, for me, communication, trust
1: is everything. And, and honor is a, is a big a character trait that I, I like to stress on it is, is building something that's based on honor and trust. So, um, being able to meet people face to face, I think builds that kind of relationship. Um, it's, we're not just an email address or a voice over the phone, um, but they, they know who I am and I know who they are and it helps. And I think it kind of helps build that rapport with each other. Um, but that, that really sucks that you guys, you got, uh, treated like that in your, with your property manager in in, uh, in Phoenix. I did buy one turnkey property before and that was in a market in Alabama. It was a similar situation to you where I'd, I had never seen it before and I thought it would be easy. It's just turnkey and same situation. It was just terrible, terrible time. And and so I was like, I'm never buying a, a property that I've never built a team out myself and and just let it go on autopilot. So uh, I, I know I did get burned once with the same situation with a property in Alabama that the team I had never met.
0: Yeah, that story happens quite often, unfortunately. Um, So as you're looking for properties that you think will work, a lot of the time, those that that buy a lot of properties, we just kind of take for granted. We get a feeling like, oh, that will work. That one won't work. And then the newbie who's listening is like, how did you know I've analyzed 700 deals this week and I don't know which one's good? Can you share what your buy box looks like? What are the things that you're just like, okay, that catches my attention. I don't even want to look at this one. Uh, and then how do you know which one to pursue?
1: Yeah. So I have, I kind of have for each market, I have a different buy box criteria. Um, so again, for that one in Fayetteville, military town, first of all, I, I kind of look at the market and I, I identify who who's my clientele, who do I want to market these properties to. So in Fayetteville, I love renting to military families. So I kind of target properties in not the, not the top neighborhoods, but something in the middle where they can get nice cash flow, but they're still nice homes for military families um, that they can rent and live in comfortably. They don't have to worry about getting shot at. So um, I, I kind of rent in those areas. And uh, I look for houses um, that are three bedrooms typically for military families. Um, and something that, and I usually put a nice, kind of nicer, higher level renovation just so that they're happy as well. Um, Here in South Dakota, what I look for is we kind of switch strategies over to um, short-term rentals. So That's something we started last year, mid-term rentals. So in Sioux Falls, we have two of the largest hospitals here in South Dakota and right there in central Sioux Falls. So we've been buying small apartments in close proximity to those hospitals and renting them out midterm, kind of short term to those travel nurses. My wife's a travel nurse. She kinda of gave me the idea. And we outfit them with everything a travel nurse would need. And so really proximity to those hospitals there for South Dakota here is for my buy box.
2: So Taylor, what's very interesting to me is that you're working with primarily folks that you resonate with, people that have lived the same kind of life with you in active duty. I feel like there's a real opportunity for you here to create a synergy where you can rent to some of these families and then educate them into home ownership themselves, maybe even getting them into a house hack. A community can be built out of this strategy. Have you thought of taking this the next step and bringing in or creating an army of other investors that you might be able to teach what you've learned and, and possibly get them into home ownership themselves?
1: Oh, I would absolutely love that because uh, the vet community is something I have a just a big passion for helping um of course that's where i came from Um, i have a you know a ton of respect for all my brothers and sisters in in uniform service so um and that's what kind of gave me my start is uh, there were some other vets that had their own kind of small course and i took that course and that's what kind of gave me that helped me get that confidence to go ahead and start closing some deals so um, that's something i want to do in the future is be able to help other vets and do something that I'm doing because I, I didn't do anything special. It was just a lot of base hits that kind of got me to where I'm at now. Um, but I think anybody can do this. And, and even though with your busy active duty schedule or anybody on a W-2, they can find the time to to go ahead and start doing kind of what I've been doing. So when you're looking at an off-market deal,
0: what are some red flags that you see that would let you know, walk away from this when it's not worth it?
1: Yeah, really, uh, I always have my contractor that I trust walk these properties And I like to stick to light cosmetic rehabs. So anything that's going to be a complete gut job, uh, usually anything that's too old, 1960s and earlier, um, where we're doing either foundation work or we're ripping out walls and we're replacing all the CapEx items, um, I stay away from those because those budgets can get out of hand very quickly. So if I find something that usually is just maybe disgusting on the inside, you just got to clean it out, Maybe slap on some new paint, floors, hardware. That is my bread and butter. So anything that's too too crazy, I would stay away from. For me,
0: Jamal, what about you? Do you have anything when you're approaching an opportunity? You gotta you got fish on the line. You're trying to figure out to like reel this thing all the way to the boat, or do I cut bait that you that you've learned over your experiences? Like, oh man, as soon as I see this, I just know it's not worth it. Get out of dodge.
2: Yeah, there there's a few. So first foundation problems for me, they've they have been a nightmare to deal with. I um, have rarely had a foundation repair come in anywhere near what the original quoted number was. They they always escalate. So that for me is uh, definitely one of those types of repairs that I, I won't want to do. And then uh, the other thing is anything that requires some kind of abatement. So I found that when I'm getting into a property that might have a mold issue, that or asbestos, something that I know I'm going to have to have a a a professional company come in and do an abatement here, and then it's going to be a situation where I have to disclose this process to a future buyer. For me, I found that that has always, even even after you've completed the repair and you've and you've got the city to come in and make sure that everything has been done to standard and code, there's still always that piece. Uh, of uncertainty for a buyer. And I've never been able to maximize my return on a deal like that because I'm, I'm literally having to go to, a, to my buyer and say, I, I want you to trust that I fixed it all. And this is all the documentation that says that it's done. But there's always that thought in the back of their mind, like, what if the mold is still here? you know what if the biohazard is still here and 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 my family could be affected and for me i think that that's always created a problem for getting a return on investment so i'm staying away from foundation problems and anything that requires severe abatement that's really smart and the other problem i think
0: you have with the abatement issues foundation issues that stuff that taylor was saying are non cosmetic the seller tends to want to overlook the significance of how much it would cost to fix that. So the seller's like, yeah, my kitchen's old. You're going to have to remodel it. They understand it. If you got to spend $65,000 to fix a foundation issue, it's tough to get them to understand you got to take more than 65000 off plus the cosmetic issues, plus the profit I have to get in here. Now, it just it feels like they're being gouged when they're not. That's the actual uh, problem. And when you have a situation where it's just cosmetic work, there's usually a, a Discount that they can live with and you can still make work. I think that's really good. It's like when you get into that issue of the the foundation issues, mold, what are some like fire damage can be one of them. Uh, Sometimes a roof can end up in that situation, depending on like if it's a really if it's a house that is not priced very high, the roof becomes a significant portion of it. On a million-dollar house, a roof's not nearly as big of a deal. I've noticed the same thing. is like you just never see eye to eye. You end up with those irreconcilable differences, and you spend all this time, and it never goes anywhere. Taylor, I can see that you're absolutely picking up steam here. Tell us a little bit about who makes up your team, and what is the first hire that you think someone should make if they want to do what you're doing?
1: Yeah, for me, it's almost tied between uh, lender and contractor, those are the two I would say were absolutely pivotal Pivotal for me. Uh, contractor, really, because I'm not the best guy to swing hammers. Um, if you can find an honest guy that's going to keep prices reasonable, um, he's going to let you know exactly what he needs to do, not do anything extra or delay the timeline. Um, to me, contractor is going to be the make or break for keeping your projects under budget and within time, even though it almost never happens. And then number two, the lender, because my lender also educated me. And if you un- can understand the finance and the lending piece, um, they helped me a lot figure out how to finance a lot of different projects. So once I had a good lender in my corner, um, I wasn't worried about financing at all. We we're I've been able to close deals um, and, and work around some things. I'm um, just for having a good lender right there in my corner.
2: For me, my, you know, my team is always starting with my sister she's the project manager for any of our construction projects and you know i i I know that she's got my best interests at heart because we share you know we share companies together we share resources and so i'm i'm positive that she's going to be taking care of us but aside from the you know the swinging of the hammers and 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 all of the 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 physical things right there's a massive team that that helps me systemize the business, make sure that I'm doing things uh, as efficiently as possible. And Taylor, you mentioned that your team is you know, beyond your, your trades, beyond your contractor, beyond the physical things. You've got this team of virtual assistants that are helping you generate your leads and make sure that you're building a pipeline of opportunity. That is difficult to arrange and it's difficult to track to make sure that you're being efficient and that you're actually getting a, a decent ROI. Walk us through that process of building your team to help you build your systems out and create a pipeline of, of deal opportunities for you.
1: Yeah. So really it's been me and a partner and we've just, I've been kind of figuring out more of the visionary side. He's been a little bit more of the operations. Um, but we're, what we're really looking for is what's the, what's going to be our highest return on investment. So, um, Finding these these VAs that are gonna do all these calls. Cause I used to do all the calls, but quickly realized that's not the best use of my time. So if I can get lead or VAs to qualify these leads and then if I can close them, um, that would be the best use of my time. So using VAs to supplement my time or I can't I can't afford. Um, using VAs to handle the back end on the disposition side. Um, there's lots of things that you can sub out to just really optimize your time and find what's my highest and best use really
2: how do you track everything? Do you, are you using a CRM? Is there uh, a specific methodology? What's that look like?
1: To track all of our leads right now, we're using um, follow-up boss as our kind of CRM. Um, and we're also using a lot of key performance metrics um, to kind of track what what what's working, what's not, uh, what should we cut? We've cut some things like different uh, Facebook ads sites that we've been using. Um, just based on how much we're paying and and what what are we getting back?
2: Are you finding that the direct to seller approach is a little bit uh, you know sellers right now are they may not be aware of how the market has shifted and and it's interesting to me that you're very, very you know forward thinking with respect to hey, I'm only going direct to seller, and I, that's my favorite way to build relationships and and to create opportunities. Have you tried working through agents and going the on market route because? Personally, I've been finding a lot of success and finding great opportunities working with realtors who actually know that the market is very frothy right now. And so, it's I'm I'm interested to hear uh, your answer to this. And 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 have you thought about possibly pivoting into working on market opportunities?
1: You know, I haven't yet. Personally, I know there's there's going to be a lot more opportunities coming up. I think we're just good at what we do, and so I kind of like to just hyper focus on what works for us and become really good at it, become experts at that. Um, but if there's any opportunities that pop up on the market and the market is shifting, it's something I would, I would definitely look into in the future, but right now off market's working for us We're closing deals. And so we're, we're going to keep the train moving. We're going to keep chugging.
2: It's just what, you know, is it like, you, Hey, I'm, this is what I know, and I don't want to fix it, or I don't want to break what's 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 not what's not broken. Is that is that a piece of it? I'm, and I, I'm I'm sorry, I might be drilling on you a little bit about this, but I I feel like you're you're missing a major opportunity to get out there and increase your 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 possible deals. I I, I I'd be curious to see if you would open that door, if you might find a wealth of opportunity for you. Yeah, you know I do have I actually do have a, a license, and I do plan
1: on using that too once I get down to Florida. Um, but you might be right. There might, there, especially now there might be getting a lot more opportunities in that, in that area. So I'm, I'm open to checking it out for sure. Um, we just haven't done pretty much anything yet on market. So, but you know, I, I think I might, I might look into that and see if we have some opportunities coming our way.
0: You know, one thing I can see would be a potential hurdle. And I realized this when Jamil and I were having a conversation the other day, specifically about how on-market opportunities are now like where more opportunity is sometimes the biggest hurdle is you got to propose your solutions and communicate through usually not only one, but two realtors. So you got to sell your realtor on how to explain an off-market subject to creative thing. Then their realtor has to understand it. Then their realtor has to explain it to the client in a way that makes sense. And everybody has to feel confident they're still going to get a commission because if they think they're not going to, they're going to shoot it out of the sky. So, Jamil, do you have any advice for like how you can
2: navigate those waters? Yeah. So dual agency. I am the huge fan. When I so here here's the thing. I, I believe that when I work through a, a buyer agent, I create friction in the situation, right? Because I have to I have to sell my buyer's agent on what I'm trying to accomplish. Then that buyer's agent has to go and communicate with the listing agent and explain to them what we're trying to accomplish. And now, you know, it's the telephone game, right? How much of what I'm saying is actually going to be communicated to the listing agent, and then how much of what that listing agent heard is going to actually fall into the seller's ears. And so for me, I think the fastest way to get the appropriate message across is I'll find the opportunity on the MLS, and I will go directly to the listing agent. And I will explain what I'm looking for and I'll have them represent me and I'll doubly incentivize them to do business with me because they can represent me as the buyer's agent. They represent the seller as the selling agent. Now they've got an opportunity to either make 6% commission or refer back 3% to their seller. So it could be a win-win-win for everybody. And I don't have to you know, create that added layer of, of communication.
3: Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com BiggerPockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. Slash Bigger Pockets Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Thread Bank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted.
2: Taylor, I'm very curious about this concept of how you created your financial independence, and I think a lot of our Bigger Pockets listeners are 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 here for an understanding of how to do that right you're a young man and it's so amazing to hear that you've been able to gain your financial independence walk us through how you make that decision and 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 what it feels like right now because look for any of us that are out there right now if you're at a job that you may or may not dislike and, or you like your job, but you think, Hey, I would really like to spend more time with my family. or I'd really like to pursue this other goal in life, but I just don't have the financial capacity to do that. Taylor, you've accomplished that. So how did it happen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is one of my, my favorite topics to head on because it's something I'm really passionate about. So once that real estate light bulb clicked for me, Then I really dug in and created an actionable three-year plan because three years is what I still had left on my army commitment. So I created an actionable three-year plan to replace my active army paycheck passively with real estate income. And so now we're we're about two years into that plan, and not only were we able to replace my active duty army paycheck, but we were able to double that. And so we've more than exceeded what we needed to. And I can confidently say once we get out of the service next year. Um, I feel comfortable leaving without having to sacrifice putting food on the table for my family. Um, but we can get out comfortably, and I can focus on starting my real estate business. Wow, I mean, that's
2: it, You, 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 you're basic. You could retire, right? You could, you could literally just dial it in if you wanted to at this point, right? <laughs> I mean, if you've replaced your income, that is a, a a that is a life goal for a lot of people. I mean, I, I don't know what I would do with myself. I, 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 you know, for my financial goals, I, I've, I've hit them, but I just, I'd be too bored not to work, right? So uh, for me, I would always want to get off and, 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 and keep doing things, keep growing, keep expanding my business and my, my, my life. But how does it feel, man? How does it feel to just to know that, you know, I can wake up tomorrow morning and I could just, Decide, hey, I, I I don't need to do anything today. That's great,
1: man. It, it's a big uh, <laughs> it's a big weight lifted off my shoulders. Not not having to worry about um, the financial piece, just putting food on the table, keeping the lights on. Um, so it, it enables me to kind of pursue what I'm passionate about. At that point, it's not just working to to get by. It's, it's working in something I'm passionate about. So that's doing real estate and that's talking to you guys, um, hopefully providing more content so other people can also move along on their financial journeys as well. All right, let's
2: move on over to the deal deep dive. <laughs> basically go into a deal that you've done and walk through the mechanics. You know, How did you find the deal and, and, and really get into the meat and potatoes of an opportunity that you've taken advantage of and have our listeners be able to follow along and see if they could create something like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go ahead and share one of my, my
2: favorite deals. It was my first commercial deal that I just pulled off this year, Taylor. So a commercial property—that's—that's uh, that's different. I mean, gosh, you're—you're you're blowing my mind left, right, and center here because you know you 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 do things that. Are so outside of the box, you you know, creative finance finds you, and and then you jump into commercial. I mean, commercial again is so much different from residential. It is a completely different beast. Uh, valuation, how you add value to it, force appreciation, even exit it, is a completely different situation than single family. Uh, walk us through that first. How did you find the deal? How did you underwrite the deal? And then, what was your plan with it? And how did you get out of it?
1: Absolutely. So. Jumping into this deal, it kind of had a similar background to me doing residential. I was actually walking my dog again. Yeah. And I wanted to buy a, a <laughs> yeah, that dog. What's key, your dog's name? By the way? actually, it better be money. Leo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, cash money, huh? But uh, yeah, Leo, he's the key to, he, Leo, get a dog walking. That's going to be the key to your financial freedom journey. Um, mm-hmm. So I uh, found, I wanted a mom and pop style apartment, something small. So I was, looking for units in my local area and I wrote down some addresses again, did some cold calling, uh, trying to find the landlords and again I found one and kinda of built, you know, rapport with him, told him who I was and you know, this guy he owns a bunch of property in the area and I just sold him on me again like I always do. Hey, I'm a young guy, army guy, and I'm just looking to build financial freedom for my family and, and get a little extra cash flow coming our way. Um, he really liked our st- my story met up a couple times, awesome dude, and he agreed to sell me this commercial deal and of course, this is a million this is my first time
2: doing like a million dollar deal you know before I was doing maybe like two hundred thousand um, dollar a million dollar deal. yeah <laughs> so what are we talking about in ter- in numbers? how much was this and how did you find the funding for it? yep, so pretty much one million on the dot and again, I am
1: used to doing residential deals maybe two hundred k or less. so this is a big step out of my comfort zone, but it's something i've always wanted to do and it was one of my goals so luckily i was able to make it work so that he carried a note to cover the majority of the down payment so and he also linked me to a local commercial lender so i was able to network with that lender through him he put in a good word for me you know he was able to underwrite the loan i was able to get a Uh, seller back note to cover the down payment. And I even got a little bit more creative and and collateralized some debt and another property we owned. And so really I came into this deal with uh, no money down. (laughs) And I just had to- Again. uh, Yeah. (laughs) So it was another creative, it was creative financing was the fundamental again um, that got me into this deal. Because there's no way I would step into a million dollar deal this early in my real estate career.
2: Now, for the folks that are listening right now, they're there might be thinking, OK, yeah, but so you got into the deal with no money and then and, and that's incredible. So creative finance dominates and wins again here, guys. But what kind of debt service are you looking at? was it was it scary to get into a situation where you now have this this monthly payment to you? And, and how did you. Play with, or how did you figure out how to debt service? What was the plan? Yeah, so it
1: was a little terrifying because I, I never spoke to a commercial lender before. I didn't want to sound like a complete idiot to him. So I, I was really uh, nervous meeting him. and, and uh, But he was a really cool guy as well. And he also helped me educate myself as well. That's kind of been a thing with these lenders, built a nice relationship where they not only lended to me, but they also taught me things along the way. And so I was a little nervous taking on that debt, especially since there's two mortgages on this property, but my game plan for this thing is, is why I truly believed in it because this house or this building is about a block away from a large hospital that my wife works at actually. Um, So our, we basically short termed STR this entire building. So we Dramatically increased the um, NOI on this building just by converting those units to furnished units and renting to primarily travel nurses. So I wasn't worried about the debt service because I knew I had a, a nice plan to refinance on the back end before that balloon was due, in I
2: think five years or so. What kind of property was this? Is it small multifamily? How many units are we talking?
1: Small multi. So it was a package. It was a. It's a nine. It's a eight unit building with a a lot with a single family house. That's a. Next to it. So total of nine units.
2: Nine unit. And uh, your plan was to rent it out to traveling nurses. You already had all that lined up. So was there a moment there where you were negative cash flow or, or, or was there any CapEx situation that you had to come out of pocket for? Because I know that you got into this deal with a uh, seller carry for the down payment. How much out of pocket did you have to come to improve the property to get it ready for the traveling nurses?
1: So the reason why I really liked this building for the strategy was that it was essentially turnkey. So I, I didn't have to do any cosmetic updates or anything like that. It was a really nice looking building as is and had everything we needed. So what was expensive was the furnishing because we were furnishing like nine units up front, but they're all one bedroom units. So it's, it's not too terrible. I think we we're able to finish all of them for about a little under five grand a unit. And so that was where our money went, was furnishing all these units up front. It took us maybe a couple months to get them all up and running. But now after that st- stabilization period, right now we're sitting really pretty
2: because they're all on Furnish Finder or on Airbnb and they're all cash flowing very well for us. So you still own the property and you any plans to refinance out of it or are you, are you planning to... Um... To sell the property at any at any time? Um, you
1: know, I, right now I plan on keeping it, but I've kept everything almost. I haven't hardly sold anything, and so I always say, "Oh, I might own this one forever." But who knows? Maybe there's going to be some awesome deals in Florida that are coming my way. So we'll see what I end up doing with it. But right now, the plan is to keep it and refinance it, and uh, we'll see how the market goes and see if interest rates go down or anything. But right now, we'll we'll, we'll plan to keep it and refinance it down the road, and. If we if we can improve well we did improve that net operating income substantially. So I think we're gonna have a nice cash out refinance on the back end waiting for us.
2: Any key lessons that you take away from a deal like this?
1: I think the 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 key lesson for me here was just to not just not be afraid of the deal. I know that it's, it's the fundamentals are the same, even though the price tag is a lot higher than what I was used to, just, just not, not let indecision and, and fear hold me back from doing the deal. And of course, using creative finance to figure out how to get into the deal. Cause if I, if I wasn't able to talk between the lender and the seller and figure out a way to make it work for everybody, um, I wouldn't have been able to get into a deal this size.
2: Suggests, or I would say that I, I think everybody listening right now uh, considers you a hero. And every deal has a hero. Who would you say was the hero of this deal? Would it would it be the the deal acqu- the 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 deal finder? Would it be the person on your team who 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 you know negotiated or or had got you in front of the seller? I know you you actually were walking your dog to to meet the seller, so that's how that happened. But. Was the hero creative finance? <laughs> it was Leo. The hey, no. <laughs> yes, of course he's the hero. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: Yeah, That's so good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, creative finance, man, it, it was uh, just. Knowing how to use those tools to unlock the, the keys that we needed um, and, and using those tools to your advantage, just like a tool, like a hammer to a construction worker or a, a M4 to a soldier, you know, uh, creative finance was the tool that enabled me to get into this deal. And um, this one's this one's going to help help out the family a lot along our financial journey.
2: I love it. Before we get to the famous four, I've got one last question because the market has changed and the environment with the interest rates rising the way that they have are you finding it harder to find deals right now?
1: You know, a little bit. I think things have kind of almost slowed down or maybe stagnated a little bit. I think people are a little more hesitant to sell their houses and people maybe are a little bit more hesitant to buy. So I, I think it has slowed down a little bit, but I think there's still deals to be done, still money to be made.
2: Are you changing your strategy or outlook at all with respect to you know what's been happening? And are you pivoting at all?
1: For me it's it's much stricter underwriting cuz now when I'm doing a bur I need to analyze the deal not from like a 4 or 5% interest but I'm running at higher 6 or 7 8% interest uh, so the, the underwriting's yeah so the underwriting's a lot has gotten a lot more strict so I would say we've been a little I've been a little bit pickier about what I what I've been keeping
2: I think that's uh, absolutely a great strategy to have and, and and it's important to take note of that so I don't know if our listeners are aware but uh, David Green actually uh, mid through midway through this podcast decided he was hungry and uh, went to go make a sandwich but we always ask our listeners these four questions Taylor and I'd love to hear your answers to them Famous for... what is your favorite real estate book
1: right now? My favorite book that I just finished reading was this financial freedom with real estate investing, the blueprint to quitting your job with real estate, even without experience or cash, which is totally who I was. And that was by Michael Blank. Hmm. And he kind of went into a lot of multifamily. I, that's the book I read that kind of broke it down Barney style for me, how to do a commercial deal. And after I read that book, a couple months later is when I went out and applied
2: it and closed that first commercial deal. So I have to give a shout out to, to that book. Amazing. You're an action taker. The second question is, what is your favorite business book? So this one was
1: recommended to me by a good friend of mine who also has a, a, a nice wholesaling business, and it was Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business by Gino Wickman. And that was especially important to me right now because you know, before I was just bootstrapping and doing real estate myself. And right now I'm in that pivotal pivotal moment where um, we're building our business, a a legitimate business where we're trying to get consistent deals and build out those systems and and build out that team. So this book was like our Bible, um, figuring
2: out how to build those systems. The next question is, especially for for a guy like you, that's got so much going on. I mean, you are a massive action taker. You, 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 Learn something and then you go off and do it. Does it leave you any time for special hobbies? I would imagine like you 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 must like build rocket ships or something on your spare time, right? What do you do?
1: <laughs> yeah, right now I'm kind of a robot between uh, the army and <laughs> and yeah, just. Uh, between the army, man, and, uh, and doing the real estate stuff. Um, also trying to hit the gym. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a gym guy, I just like to lift things up and put them back down. So between those three things, eating and sleeping, it almost takes up 90, like 95% of my time. But with that last 5%, I do love to spend quality time with my wife, Helen. And so we'll do anything together, we either watch movies or go biking, anything. So with that last amount of time I give it to my wife
2: I, I I would imagine one of your hobbies is also walking the dog right because that dog uh uh that leo makes you a lot of money <laughs> leo make that is a money puppy yeah awesome yeah I need to give him a promotion I would like imagine you got to get him in a bigger house no not yet well you know maybe go go buy him a new bed and get, maybe if I can figure out a creative financing strategy for a dog
1: house then we can get him into a oh, nice my one God, that's great.
2: <laughs> lastly Taylor what do you think sets successful people apart from those who give up or just don't even get started
1: yeah for me uh getting started again with my story was was the hardest part um making that mental pivot um so for me it was kind of establishing my why why was why was I doing it? And for me, that was my family. It was for my wife um, to get out, get out of the kind of active duty army lifestyle where I was gone a lot, deploying, training out in the field. And I wanted to get my time back and, and be with my family. So, once I really established my why, and and that kind of like embodied me and, and took over in this business, um, that's what really set me up for those long days with. Balancing the army and doing real estate—is um, that why it was was able to keep me through and keep pushing me even through all the the struggles and, and the long days?
2: Taylor, you are a phenomenal man and a amazing husband. I can tell, an amazing dog owner, uh, and a genius real estate investor. I mean, you've just you've really put it together, brother. And you're taking action and the fact that you consume a little bit of information then you go off and do it i think that should inspire everybody who listened in and tuned into this podcast today so i'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to want to find want to meet you and and actually connect with you and possibly do deals with you tell us where can people find you
1: yeah so lately i've really been trying to build up a little bit of a social media presence so i'm trying to be the most active on instagram and that's just my name, Taylor Wing underscore, and so that's where I try to post what I'm actually doing because we're doing a lot of cool projects, and people love to see the before and afters. So we're trying to be the most active on that Instagram handle.
2: Love it, love it. I think you should also have a YouTube at some point because uh, you know I I truly believe there's a community that you can build for people that are in active duty and helping them get into real estate investing. When people can find folks that are just like them doing the thing that might be the key to their financial freedom. Uh, I think there's something there. And, and Taylor, I'd love to help you do it. Folks, if you'd like to also follow me, you can find me on Instagram at jdamji, at J-D-A-M-J-I. I also have a YouTube page. It's just Jamil Damji. And on behalf of David Green, who is still eating a sandwich, and the rest of us here at Bigger Pockets, Taylor, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for taking action because i think that you're going to inspire thousands of people who are going to hear your story and want to do the same we loved having you on here taylor have a great day david what are you doing we're already done bro you guys are done yeah yeah we,
0: we i thought you were gonna wait for me to go get a sandwich and come back i even i got you a pb and j bro i
2: mean he, we were talking a lot of good stuff and you, away you went you know oh geez how's the sandwich <laughs> i'll tell you in a minute